We'd like to thank, um, first of all, the Freedmans for sponsoring today's uh, shir, Le'ili Nishmas, Yisrael Nesanel ben Shlomo Yitzchak, late Ari Freeman, whose yard site is um, on Pesach, and uh, his impact continues to spread with his uh, very special family. Thank you for being part of this, this learning this morning. The learning this morning is also the refuah of Pinchas ben Brindel, and also as a refuah in Rachmei Shemaim for Yehuda ben Breiner. And it's a shame they should uh, have true and full um, refuahs. Um, I just, if you're going to be taking notes today, um, and you have, uh, and you have the, the packets, you know, make sure that the, the chametz is not mixing with the packets today, if they're going to come to your seder. So just uh, be very careful about uh, about the chametz and the and the and the and the, and the matzah today. Today we're going to be learning a little bit, a few ideas, a lot of different ideas. I apologize, we're out of notes. If you could just gra- grab a few to share, that'd be that'd be amazing. Um, Today what we're going to do is we're going to take, take a few ideas, develop a few ideas, think about a few ideas, and perhaps feel a few ideas, because it's not simply about, it's not simply about um, just saying over words. It's actually living, experiencing, and sharing that experience at the Seder. And hopefully the ideas that we're going to learn today are going to be something which is going to be something, first of all, which means something very much to me, and hopefully will each of you and your individual Seders will make a specific difference. So we're going to start off with a few ideas. The first idea is going to be talking about the middle matzah. And there's a story behind this vort, actually. It happens to be that a few, just, just a few short days ago, in one of the shiva houses that our shul had, um, I, I went to the shiva house, and it was for Mr. Sender Berkowitz. That's Shandy Handler's father. And I was just chatting, and um, it, 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 just from the Levi, it sounded like a really incredible person, a really just unbelievable individual who really lived Torah. Everything he talked about was his, the latest idea that he'd been thinking about. So I was at the Shiva house and I was talking about this and the son said to me, yeah, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that. All the time he was thinking about Torah, here's one thing. One night he said, I couldn't go to sleep and I was just thinking, why is it that we break the middle matzah? So I wanted to share his thoughts, Mr. Senderberkowitz's thoughts um, um, that, um, on this particular idea. A very, very beautiful, succinct idea. And that is is that, you know, the Bear Hater mentions, a number of the Poiski mention that the, the matzahs themselves are, are a tiered, um, there's three of them, one, two, three, and there's n- numerous representations as to what they represent. One of the representations is, as Rabbi Talabal mentioned, yes, in the Shabbat Sagot al-Drasha, is Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, that there's three, the three patriarchs are expressed in each of the matzahs, which means that, that, therefore, the matzah we are breaking, of course, is... Is Yitzhak, the center, the center matzah, which is fascinating. Why that? There's a lot of interesting literature I'd never come across until recently. And part of it is the following, is that we know that if you go through the first Perik of Perik Avos, there's lots of sets of threes. In those sets of threes, the Maharal in his Perish Derech actually constructs a parallel between all of them. And that is, is that the Avos, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, are actually parallel to the three pillars upon which the world stands, and they are... Torah, Avod, and Gemilas Chasadim. Torah, Avod, and Gemilas Chasadim. And most commonly, the way it's broken up is the following. Is that Avram, of course, is a representation of Gemilas Chasadim, the outpouring of energy, the influence on the world around. Yaakov, of course, is, is Torah. There's a, there's a notion Yaakov was attached very deeply to Torah, which leaves us with Yitzhak, who is, of course, Avoida. 
Avoida naturally means because, in a certain sense, Yitzhak Avinu was the expression of Avoida. He was the Korban, right? He was the, the Oilat Tamimah that went up on, on the Akedah. So when we, when we take a look at the, at the Seder today, what we do is we break the middle. We break Yitzhak, the Avoida. You know why? Because today we no longer have that aspect of service of God. We have Gemilis Chasadim, thankfully. We do have um, Torah, thankfully. But Avoida? Our Avoida is only a fraction of what it was in those days. All we have left is Tefillah, which is a representation of the Avoida Shebelev, of what was the Avoida in the Beis Amidrash of the Korbanos. So we take the bigger part of Avoida and we put it away till the end. Because we say that there's going to be a time where we'll reclaim our voyage to its fullest extent, but that's not now. Fascinating and beautiful idea. Once again, Mr. Sender Berkowitz, an idea of, um, of, of the future of our, of our service of God. This one channel which has been somewhat interrupted. Move, we move right on into, into our next section. We, we talk about the four sons. There's a most beautiful story which is told of Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. So Levi Yitzchak of one Pesach, is, uh, finishes Mairiv, and all the Hasidim are around him, and they're going home now to their Seder, and Rav Levi Yitzchak says, um, before we go home, we need to take a detour. And all the Hasidim are very puzzled, and they don't know what's going on. So what happens? They, they take a detour to the outskirts of town. It sounds like the way all these stories start, but this one ends very most unusually. <laughs> <laughs> And he arrives at the edges, edges of town, and he's outside the window of the Seder of Yankala. Yankala was the water carrier. Very simple Jew in town. And he says, before we go home, we need to listen to the Seder of Yankala, the water carrier. Okay. So all the Hasidim are crowded around, huddled, huddled around in the dark outside this very, very dark hovel. And they're listening inside, and they hear the following. So Yankala reaches the part of the Arab body, that's where they're up to at this point. And he says, you know, Kindalach. I'm not a very learned person, but I will tell you something that I did remember from school. And that is, is that when we say Echad, that my Rebbe once told me when I was five years old, that you marich, that you, you, you extend the Dalad. And so therefore he says, let's say it all together, boys. He says, Keneged Arba Bonim Dibra Torah. Echad. Chacham. Echad. Rasha. Echad. Tam. Echad. Sheni Odelishal. And he was extending the, the word Echad like you do in Kriyashma. And all the Hasidim are trying to hold in their, you know, their, uh, their giggles at this point in time. You know, the poor man, he's, he's applying what you learned to Kriyashma to the, the Seder. You know, the, the man obviously you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily understand it. And Rebbe Yitzchak started, started crying. And he says, he says, that's why we came here. He said, to hear that Yankala got the Seder more than the rest of us. Because in the end of the day, what's the notion of Echad when you're extending the word Echad? is that wherever you look, in the, eight, in the eight dimensions, the eight spheres as we ascend, in the four directions of the Dalad, we see Hashem. We say that we see Hashem everywhere in the world. You know what? Everywhere we see Him, every shadow, every dark shadow, every light we see Hashem, is Hashem's experience around us. That's what the Seder is about. The Seder is about realizing that Hashem is everywhere. That's the best way to say that. As Rabbi Yitzchak says, it's a reminder about what the Seder is. This reminds us actually of the Ramban at the end of Parsha's Boy. The Ramban says, you know what? When we do the, when we commemorate the, um, what happened in Mitzrayim, it's funny. Because the, what actually happened in Yitzchak Mitzrayim, the Ramban breaks up the, the ten makos into three sections. The Tzach Adash Ba'achav. And he shows that each of, um, of one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four... Each of the first levels has a pattern, each of the second levels has a pattern, each of the third levels has a pattern. And meant to teach us, educate us three things, that Hashem exists, that Hashem is involved, that Hashem is the power. 
The Ramban goes to an elaborate description of how Yitzhak Mitzrayim reminds us not only there was a God, there is a God and He cares. And therefore he goes on to say, Ubavur. God doesn't just suddenly say, you know what? You want a miracle? I'll give you a miracle just to prove it to you. Hashem does not do that. Therefore, in places that he commands us, Therefore, what we do is we make elaborate signs to remember what occurred, that we can tell our children that he did step out from behind the veil. And it's a very, very um, heavy issue that if we, if we transgress these signs. For instance, eating chametz says, And therefore we write it. We put it on our hands and our eyes in the form of tefillin. And we write what happened that we left Egypt on the, every doorway of our, of our houses. And we say it every morning and every night in Kriyashma. The third paragraph of Shema is about remembering what happened. The fact that we have a sukkah is to commemorate the fact that we left Egypt and we were protected by God in that process of Exodus. It's to remember what happened. It was to remember that Hashem was there for us, that Hashem did care. That there should never be a person who should deny the existence of God. You go out and you buy a mezuz for one zuz. A very cheap amount. I guess things have, inflation has changed a little bit. When you put up that mezuzah, what you're saying, you're testifying to the world that Hashem exists, that Hashem knows, and Hashem cares. You also and you go, so what, what, what is going on over here? Yetzirah Mitzrayim isn't just, you know, oh wow, we're free and we've got nationhood and we've got a national identity. It's about the fact that God cares about the world as a whole. The expression was us. But the fact that Hashem exists, the fact that Hashem cares, that's what we're talking about in Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Sometimes we forget what Yankala, the water carrier, has to teach us, and that is Echad. Wherever you see, wherever you look, that's one. And if you think about it, we're living within living history of the Holocaust right now. We're still within living history of the Holocaust. You go up to the libraries when I used to, do, when I used to study for um, some actuary exams. I used to sp- spend 10 hours studying, um, uh, studying uh, shifts in the YU library on the fourth floor. Very fascinating floor to spend time on because you can go in the library and just look through the sections of literature. There, there are bookshelves written on Holocaust denial. Now, bookshelves written on Holocaust denial. We're in living history. And nonetheless, this is being written. Now, uh, and, and every year, we come to our table and our children talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim as if it happened yesterday. That's the success of the idea of the notion of what, of what we're trying to achieve, which is the fact that Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the emblem of the fact that Hashem cares about us. And we've succeeded in that. We're going to continue to succeed. That's the, the four sons. Let's take it one step further. The Rasha. Rasha is always the, the most curious of all the sons. We, we treat him rather harshly. We don't give the, the Rasha too much slack. We, it's, it's hard to know what was wrong with his statement, and we even, it's so, it's so uh, we, we respond to him so strongly. We hakeh shinov, we, we uh, knock out his teeth, we blunt his teeth. Very, very strange. So what was wrong with the Russia? All the Mephoshim struggle with this. The Agada's way of understanding it is, is that he excluded himself from the klal. That the Russia um, excluded himself from the rest of you. He says, um, he says what is this to you? Which you have to contrast to the Chacham, who also says, eschem. 
seems to be that he's also excluding himself somewhat. The, um, and everybody struggles as to what it was that the, what is wrong with the Russia. The Meshechachma says a very fascinating thing, just in parentheses, and that is, if you go back to the Torah, where this question is asked, remember, the, why do we have four sons in the first place? Meaning, four is a great number, there are four cups, and there's four Lashonis Gun, and there are four is a great number. But why four sons? Because there's four times in the Torah that the Torah talks about addressing our children about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And when we look into the Torah, it, uh, and we see the way that the children are interacting, we understand what type of children they are, and that's what our God is doing. So when it talks about the Ben Arosha, it says, Ki amru when your children will say to you, says the Mishra it wasn't a question. He was telling you. He was saying, what is this? He wasn't asking for an answer. So the Mishra says, when you go back and you see well, how he asked it, he wasn't asking. But maybe, maybe it's a little deeper. Maybe it's, maybe it's even, even more than that. You see, the way the Yerushalmi describes it, Yerushalmi Psachim says, Ben Rasha Mahu Oimer, Mah Avoda Azos Lachem, Mah Torah Hazeh, how do you translate that? What's the way he's interpreting the word avoda? He understands that avoda is not service, but a burden. So Yerushalmi says, you know what the problem with the Ben Arasha is? Is he looks at the whole process, and he sees the whole Pesach cleaning, and he sees all that's gone, and gone into this, and he sees the amount of cooking and the amount of preparation that went into this, and he says, wait a second, ma Torah this is a lot, folks. You know, you, you could spend the money elsewhere. You could spend the time elsewhere. What is going on over here? Why is it that you spend so much time on this? So what, what, what is the Achilles heel of the Rasha, according to the Yerushalmi? Is his, it's his attitude to what we're doing. It's his attitude to what we're doing. Now, this is, this is a very important uh, thing. Rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a very beautiful article on this particular point. And he, and he says the following, which I thought is a very remarkable idea. And that is, is that... And when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem, how is it that, I'm go- that I know? How is it that you're going to tell me that we're doing the right thing, that this is going to come to a good end? And Hashem says to him in the, the discussions before Exodus begins, Hashem says, I'll be with you. This is the sign. This is how you're going to know that I really sent you. And this is not a game. How is it? You're going to come out of Egypt, you're going to come to this mountain, and you're going to serve me. Remember, that's the burning bush. We're in the area of Sinai now. Moses, Moses um, his first intera- introduction to the God of Israel. And, what, and, the, and Hashem says, you know how it's going to work? You're going to come out and serve me. What the problematic word over there is? Ta'avdun. Think about this. Here we have these, these poor slaves wallowing in. Slavery disenfranchised existence in Egypt, and Hashem says, "Don't worry, you're going to come out, and you're going to serve me." What kind of joke is that? How's, how's Moshe Rabbeinu going to sell that to the? What's his election platform going to be like? It's like, don't worry, folks, <laughs> we're going to take you out of service, and you're going to go right back into service. You see, the the point over here is that Egypt wasn't a freedom from; it was a freedom to. Which is the way, the the idea is that Egypt was the freedom to worship, the freedom to serve is that to invest our forces, our energy into a particular direction. There's no such thing as gaining anything in life without actually investing. You know, if you think about it the following way, think about, and this is just a beautiful idea that Sachs mentions, I think is most remarkable. If you think about, if you want to rate the, 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 out of the three regalim, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkos, which one requires the least amount of work to the one which requires the most amount of work? The one with the least amount of work would arguably be Sure, it's right, and the cheesecakes are difficult, staying up at night is hard. But, nonetheless, it really doesn't match when it comes to thinking about other the activities involved in Pesach and, uh, and, and Sukkot. So, Yisrael of Shavuos is the least amount of effort. What's the next one? 
Sukkahs are no, sukkahs are hard and so on, but you know, so one of these days, where's Evan? We're going to have a, we're gonna, you know, you have the team come to you, you know. Everything's taken care of, right? It's a lot of cooking, it's true. But in the end of the day, it's nothing like Pesach. Pesach, we know what, what Pesach is like. Pesach is an incredible amount of work. Now, let's rate the, rate the following. Think about, in terms of our Jewish identity, if you rate those three Yomim Tovim, which are, which are do the most disconnected Jews remember more? In terms, of, in terms of the lowest to the highest. Lowest is? Shavuos. Think about all those... Oh, uh, think about it. I remember my, my parents were telling me in public school, you know, the, when the Jews had to take off and they'd explain Shavuos, nobody knows what Shavuos is. Right? The Shavuos, what, what is it? You know, the, the cheesecake doesn't help you there. Right? Okay, Sukkot people have heard about it a little bit, but everybody, everybody knows our Pesach. Pesach is the time that at least for one evening people come in and, and have a Seder. Why is that? Isn't it an interesting thing? The more work, the more investment of energy... It seems like the more that resonates with our identity. Isn't that interesting? You, you say, you, you say wow, it's so much work. Says the Rosha. Do you know what? The best things in life come with a lot of work. And that's what Hashem is saying. You're going to come out of Egypt and you're going to work for me. You're going to serve me. You're going to invest your life into my service. Because that's how the world works. You know, when you think about it now, I mean, it's a very timely topic. All these millennials and Bernie Sanders, I mean, now what is going on? You know, you have to think about it. Go to a socialist country and go for election in a socialist country. We're not, we're a capitalist country. But in the end of the day, if you do a lot of research on what's, what is going through the minds of millennials, they say that millennials no longer eat breakfast cereal because it takes too long. They'll have snack bars instead because taking out the bowl and then pouring the cereal and pouring the milk and then getting a spoon, that's a lot of work. Millennials don't want work. You understand? So what, what happens is you have somebody who walks into the primaries and says, folks, those people on Wall Street... They're going to pay for everything else for you. So I said, this is all we want. This is our ticket. You understand? The problem is, is that's not the way the world works. That's not the way the world works. The way the world works is if you invest, that's how you, you get. And this beautiful article Andrew just sent out about Joe Rosenberg, about what, what Wall Street really means. Investment. You talk about the freedom, the freedom to actually make and shape your own life. That's what Wall Street is. Work really, really hard and you can actually make it. Don't tell me about getting things without necessarily in, investing into it. A link to the most beautiful idea that Rav Moshe Sternbach says. What is the, what, how do we reciprocate? And that is, we, the, in his Agara, Tam Vedas, he says, You knock out his teeth. You blunt his teeth. Why teeth? You know, like, what, what, what does that symbolically mean? Says, uh, says the, 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 the Tam Vedas, Rav Moshe Sternbach, beautiful idea. He says, loasim kamavakamapamim. Teeth are the, that instrument in the body which you need to chew again and again. Where's Chaim? Uh, right? Teeth is the... the, the, the you, need to, you need to chew. You need to digest. It takes time. Right? Then it's, then it's ready for the eating. The Rosha isn't prepared to chew. He isn't prepared to spend time digesting. Right? He isn't prepared to take the time to think about, to digest, to have questions which last years, to struggle with concepts which aren't, aren't, aren't answered immediately. He's not prepared for that. So knock out his teeth. He doesn't need those digestion tools. You understand? I prefer to get a smoothie and that covers everything for the rest of my life. That's what's that's what, that's what happening with the Russia. Coming back to the idea of work. Beautiful idea from... Uh, from uh, both Rav Sachs and uh, Rav Moshe Schlenbach. Let's take it one step further. By the way, I don't think they usually come together in the... Uh, in, in <laughs> um, now, 
Now, let's think about it. We have a long evening. We have a long evening, right? And, um, and uh, we all know the, the meal's late. We start late, and South Africa's a little easier. I'd recommend coming, coming to do some Pesach programs in South Africa. It's a beautiful one in Zimbabwe. You get to start the set a little earlier. Um, and so the end of the day, here we have a, here a kid who, according to most of the Mepharshim, isn't just, you know, the little boy with a pacifier at four years old, right? It's a person who's apathetic, indifferent, and doesn't really care. So what happens is we're starting to say, you know, you don't really care, but let, let's, let's engage. Let's talk about things. You know, in a busy night, why are you talking to him? So says, says Rav Moshe Wolfson in, in Munasi Techa, beautiful, beautiful idea. He says the following. This, this is something which should change our perspective on Pesach as a whole and perhaps Judaism as a whole. He says, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping down to the, thir- the fourth line. He says, What happens is, is we go down to the level of the, the we'll call the most basic at the Seder, and we, and we start talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim to them, according to their level. We're on the elevated evening. We're talking about great things. And you know what we're doing? We're saying, you know, kids... You know, you aren't really interested, but here, let me tell you a little bit about this. Why? He says, Nonetheless, you have to put yourself down. Why? He says, He quotes the Ari. Why was it that Hashem came himself? Why couldn't he just send a delegate? That's fine, you know, Hashem will send somebody to, as a representative, and they'll do all the job for him. Very capable. He says, Omar Huzal. Now, Rizal said, It was too dangerous for an angel. Hashem had to intercede himself. And Hashem himself went in. And that's the end of his words. If Hashem was prepared to reach us, people who weren't reachable, people who are perhaps the pariah of society, the people who had nothing to do with society, and Hashem could reach down, we most certainly can reach down. The formation of the nation was a formation of a non-elitist um, um, organization, non-elitist enterprise. In fact, if you just reverse a few paragraphs, what happens? Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria says, How old was Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria? He was 18. He, and, and you realize that the day he, was, he said that, he was elected as the Nazi. You have to understand what this means. You know, right now, Rabbi Gamliel was, was, was voted out. Can you imagine? There must have been lots of people who are eligible for the position. The Gemara Brachos talks about the other people who, in fact, were Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yeshua, other people who have a potential position. This 18-year-old gets the position. You can imagine the godless this, this, the, this person represented. But what does he say? The first thing he says, no holds barred. He says, I wasn't able to explain to the court, to the council, that they should say Yitzhak Mitzrayim at night until Ben Zoma says it. Ben Zoma isn't even a Rav. Benzoma was a Talmud. So what happens? You see what, you see what the Seder is saying? You, you, the way the Seder starts is, to, is not about Rabbi Lozab and Azarias, it's about the Benzoma's. Where the Seder starts, you start to have this elevated evening, and you put your three-year-old in the chair, and he says, Manishtana. Because it's not about, it's not, we're not having an intellectual discussion. Isn't it interesting, if you notice, if you look at over the, uh, let's say, took, like, take 20 years, uh, 20 year um, segment of your Sedarim, of what they look like over the 20 years, I would hope they look very different. As, uh, um, when, when we were just before we got married, there were very high intellectual discussions with our parents and, and so forth. And when we got married and had children, and then, then the status started again. 
a whole new generation where it was much more simpler. Then they got more sophisticated as our kids grow older. And then once again, it starts again, and it goes, it goes down to the level of the basics and understanding. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the flow, the tide of in and out of education. That's what's going on. It's not about an intellectual, sophisticated discussion. It's about experience. That's what's going on over here. Why? Because that's how it happened to us. Don't forget what happens to us when we talk to others. The Shania Daily Show. Fascinating, uh, fascinating halachic insight over here in thanking and sensitivity. We move on now to covering and uncovering the matzos. You know that it happens a few times in the Seder. One example is, is before Vihisha Amda. So you cover the matzos, you, you lift, the, lift the cup and so on. So there's a fascinating thing that Rav Yisak Zilberstein asks. Rav Yisak Zilberstein has a number of sorim called Chashukei Chemed. And they are the most unusual halachic shalas you ever come across. Fascinating. One of these days we should just do a shir, just, just going through some of the most unbelievable shalas that he has. So he has a very interesting question over here, and that is, in his, um, in his agar, he asks, There's a mitzvah to tell about the greatness of Hashem. What happens if you have an individual who a miracle occurred to? Right? You're going to talk about the great experience that happened to you, but it's going to be at the expense of the other person, you know, who went onto the rickety bridge in front of you and, and down the rest of it for you. Right? Meaning, what, what's going to happen? Are you going to mention that, uh, the, uh, the, the nace of Hashem to the chagrin of somebody else? Do you talk about the greatness of Hashem at the expense of somebody else or not? That's the question that, that he's asking. Somebody else is going to be suffering because they're hearing um, the story that they were involved with. He says, Pashat, of course. Of course you can't talk about this part of the story. We know that the matzah is called lechem oini. We, we, we mention and we articulate over it many, many issues. We talk about the Haggadah above and, and through the matzah. We talk about Nonetheless, the Ramah tells us that we cover the matzah when we lift the wine, as we see by Vahish Amda. That the matzah shouldn't be embarrassed. Wait a second. What's the focus of the Seder? The focus of the Seder isn't lifting the cup at that point in time. The focus of the Seder is the matzah. The matzah is the real deal here. Nonetheless, you cover the real deal because of not to, not to embarrass it. Busha, I mean, like, really, when's the last time you saw the matzah blush, right? The, right the, nonetheless, Just in terms of educationally, what we're seeing over here is, it's not about the matzah. It's about sensitivity in life. It's about the way the next time you tell that story at the table and you're about to talk about that, that, that trip in the family where you were the hero and everybody else was not exactly the hero, be careful because that's what, that's what happens. The matzah is the real deal. Nonetheless, we cover it in that sensitivity. Very fascinating halachic insight that Zilberstein is, is, is lending to us. But where from? From, in fact, just the, just the, the action of covering matzahs in the seder. Something, something worthwhile keeping in mind when it comes to Abedim Odom Lamakoms and Badon Olachaveros, our ups and outwards. We have to be a little bit careful when those inter- interchange. Take it one step further. In Zavishondo itself, I searched for a very, very long time to find this, and I'm very, very pleased to tell you that I found the text inside. It took a long time to find. This is an idea which I'm sure that a number of you have heard, but I think it's worth repeating and articulating once again because it's so meaningful. It's such a, it's such a deep idea. 
We talk about the Yisha Amdala Vosene We talk about this, this thing. We, there's numerous things, whether it be the Torah, whether it be the covenant that stands for us throughout generations. It was not one nation, and it still is not one nation. If you think about it, I remember there was once, uh, there, just a few weeks ago, there was a, a uh, on one week, I was reading the Times of Israel, and there were two articles. One was about Hezbollah swearing that they're going to, they're, they're going to um, fight back, and then ISIS saying that they're going to turn on Israel. Hezbollah and ISIS are fighting right now, okay? <laughs> Nonetheless, in the same week, there they are threatening Israel. You know, it, it's unbelievable. This is a paragraph which resonates more than ever today specifically. And um, what, what, what is fascinating about this is if you go a little bit later into the Halal, we say one of the, the shortest Mizmorim in Halal, which is one pasuk long, says the following on this topic. Hashem kol goyim. Praise Hashem all nations. Let all the, let all the, um, the, the nations of the world praise Him. Because He grants us um, kindness for MS Hashem Lo'elam, and, and truth is to him forever, hallelujah, praise be Hashem. Now the problem is over here is the subject and the object of the sentence, if you think about it. So who's doing the praising? Is the nations of the world. What they're praising about? That Hashem gave us chesed. Now look, it, it's, that's not really a fair you know, division of labor. They should be thinking about what happens to them, we should be thinking about what happens to us. Thank you very much. I mean, everybody, everybody should be doing their thanking, but in their respect to the vision of labors. Why are they thanking Hashem about us? The, the two have got nothing to do with each other. So I found the earliest I was able to find this was in the Chidusha Griz on Parashas Yisro. The Griz, Rav Yisak Zev Soloveitchik says, quotes a story. And this is a famous story, but this is the earliest I was actually able to find it in print. And he says the following, he says the following on the third line of the source. He says, Dinei Yodua, he quotes Rav Itzala of Volozhin, that's the son of Rochaim Volozhin, who was interacting with a Russian noble. He says, He quoted this Mizmor, and he says, How is it that we should be thanking what Hashem does for you? He was a Lomdish Russian noble, right? <laughs> He, he, he'd read the text, and he was asking, why is it that we're thanking for you? So he answers, His answer was immediate. He says, we don't know all the devious plots that are out to get us in your courts. Hashem annuls all your plans for evil. You're the only people who know the full extent of the damage that you would have caused and wasn't able to, to be achieved. You know all the foiled plots that occurred. We don't know that. You have a responsibility for seeing how many times it was thwarted, thwarted how many failed terrorist attacks, not just because... Not just because the Israelis were great, but because you weren't able to do it. That you have to praise for. Just, just recently, of course, you're all familiar with the story, but just uh, as a reminder, just in 2014, August 2014, remember there were 13 terrorists that came out of a tunnel, the tunnel which was actually used um, in, um, as they came out of Gaza, and they were able to shoot them in the field. So the story behind that, of course, is it's a Pesach story, is that Aaron Summit was the owner of the Summit factory producing tzitzis, and he's also the Badats on a particular matzah factory. And remember, it was, after, it was the Shemitah year, so it was hard to find wheat. 
and um, and a number of people came from Bnei Brak to find places. Remember, they cut the they cut the grain for the matzah for the next year in the summer. They were looking for places to cut matzah. They found on the on the on the border of Gaza an area which was very unusual. They found two thousand acres of green wheat, which was just right for us. We harvested the wheat, said Samet, and we ran into military police as they um, as well as undercover and regular police who came to check out um, out who we were. The Gaza air campaign was already underway, and Samet and his colleagues saw the smoke clouds over Gaza and heard sirens while they were busy harvesting and transferring the wheat trucks and moving them towards the cleaning plant near Masmia for cleaning wheat and uh, fumigating and tithing it. Two days later, 13 terrorists from Gaza came out of a tunnel which opened to those fields near Sufa. The terrorists had been planning on a big attack and had been counting on hiding among Sufa's giant wheat field, which matzah makers had just chopped down. The terrorists couldn't understand how the camouflage had disappeared. The empty field enabled the military observer to spot and identify the terrorists and open fire on them. Many Jewish lives were thus saved by the grace of heaven. That is one example, one very short example of where we actually just saw just a little bit of what was really going on. We don't know how many times that happens. We have no idea. Hallelujah, Hashem Kol Goyim. The people who do should really uh, should, should be praising. That's what we say. Amda. When we think about Amda, we only know a fraction of how, so how lucky we are today. We take it further. The lost potential. This, to me, is one of the most painfully deep ideas. Very, 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 very deep ideas. And that is, is that not only, do, not only did we suffer in Egypt as a nation, we suffered in the, in the most unusual way. Says, says the, the Haggadah, Vayares onyeinu, Hashem saw our suffering. What was the suffering that, we, that Hashem saw? Zuprishas derecheret. That we were not able to live like married people, that we weren't able to, to reproduce more children than we, as we should have. Hashem saw Israel and he knew. Now, remember what the Haggadah is doing. The Haggadah is taking the Pasuk, breaking it down, and bringing source texts for every level. When you read this Pasuk, Hashem saw Israel and he knew. Is that really, that, that, that helps us understand that Hashem knew about the Prishos Derech Eretz, meaning what is that added? How has that Pasuk given us any more ground to know what is that, 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 the lost potential over here? So in order to do this, we need to go back. By the way, there is, there is room inside, folks, if you're, if you're interested. On over here. If anybody's uh, interested. Okay. 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 Always welcome to join us. <laughs> um, so, uh, so here we go. We, we have to go back to Yosef. It all goes back to Yosef. We can't go through Haggadah here without going back to Yosef. Let's go back to, to what happens with Yosef. Yosef is, um, at the beginning of Pasha's Mikhaes, he's wallowing in a, in a prison. He's pulled out of prison to, become, to, to interpret the king's dreams, Right? So here, here comes this young man, he's shaven, he's changed his clothes, they put him in front, of, uh, in front of Pharaoh, and he gives the most astounding explanation of these dreams. He talks about the seven years, and the seven years, and everybody, and, and Pharaoh is immediately taken by this, and then he also goes on to solicit, solicit advice. A few very basic questions. Number one, Pharaoh, this is, this is the empire of the time, he controls everything. You know, in his employ are the most sophisticated and most well-trained astro- astrologers and astronomers of the time. Egypt is the center of necromancy. Egypt has a, got a good finger on dark magic, which existed at the time. So you'd think, you know, why is it that this young Hebrew boy is the only one who's able to really, you know, hit the nail on the head? Couldn't they say anything? You know, Rashi tells us other interpretations. Seven daughters that you're going to have and they're going to be lost. Seven wars you fight. They couldn't guess years. They couldn't get, I mean, it's about grain. The, the cows are eating. Right, the, the, the grain is eating the other grain. You know, like, couldn't they, re- they couldn't really just get, guess the right thing? At least guess. You don't know it, but guess. It's a pretty, you know, I'm sure if we go around the room, we could have probably got, got that among ourselves, just guessing. Get a good job, right? Um, and more, more than that, you know, like, 
you know, Yosef has been asked to interpret dreams. And then he stands up and he says, you know, and I would suggest the following. What parish should say? Sit down, young man. I didn't ask you for advice. You know, the Jewish boy walks into the palace and the next thing you, you know it, he is now dictating public policy. What is going on over here? Yosef wasn't asked advice. Says, says Rabbi Yeshua Diskin, the Mariel Diskin, the most beautiful, beautiful idea of insight into this parasha, which of course explains the light in the Haggadah here. This is the most, un- when, you, when you hear this, you can't read it again this, uh, the same way. He says the following, Yosef and the astronomers looked into the future, and you know what? What did they see in the future? They saw that there would be, in fact, seven years of famine. And how many years of, of, uh, of, of uh, sorry, there, there will be seven years of goodness. How many years of famine did they see in the future? They only saw two. Because when they looked into the future, they saw what in fact would happen, which is that when Yaakov came, the famine stopped. So they looked into the future. They're hearing these dreams about seven and seven. And they know what the future holds, that there's seven good and two bad. And they realize that it can't be what's to come. Because at the end of the day, there wasn't going to be seven years of famine. There was only going to be two years. You see what the, the problem is over here, says the Mariel Diskin? Is that when a human eye looks into the future, a human eye can only see actuality. The human eye can't see potential. What Yosef says, remember the word line Yosef says? Vayan Yosef es paro, lemor, it's not me. Elohim meaning, God has given me access to realize what could have been and what will be. You know what the will be is? Why does it change from seven years of famine to two years of famine? Because of? Because of Yaakov. So you know, let me give you advice. Let me put the human component in over here because that's what's going to change the potential to the actual. The necromancers couldn't access that. They couldn't access potential. They could only see um, actual. And that's exactly what's happening in the Haggadah now. Let's come back to that for a moment. Same words. The name Elohim means Hashem who is able to see beyond the human eye. You look at the nation, you say, wow, look at the proportions of growth. That's unbelievable. Statistically, six in one, unbelievable. Hashem says, I'm the only being on earth who knows how much was lost. I know how much was not created. I know how many souls were waiting to come down and didn't. That's what Hashem knew. And no human beings can't appreciate that. If you want to take that just one step further into, into a different, in a different direction, Shakespeare in Hamlet says, What is a man if his chief good and market of his time be but to sleep and feed? A beast no more. Sure he, be the, uh, sure he that made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capa- capability and godlike reason to fast in us unused. Think about us. Let's not think on a national scale. Look at us as human beings. And we look at ourselves and we say, you know, well, we do a lot of, we spend a lot of time looking after ourselves. That's great. But is that all that there is to us? Is that, the great, is that the potential that we really have? Could we push ourselves more than simply what is and what is projected to be? That's the question. Can we access the potential? That's the question that this, the, this section that I've got to ask ourselves on an individual level. Let's take a look. Let, Correct. Right. The notion of very good. Very good. The idea of Yadia is the notion of connection and in the most intimate way. Let's take let's take one uh, two more uh, two more ideas and we'll uh, we'll hold it there. Ten Marcos. Very, very, very simple question. Simple question. Is you know, we all know there's there's two concepts we know. One concept we know is that Hashem uh, took us out of the nick of time. If Hashem would have left us there even a millisecond longer then we would have sunken down to the Memtas Sharitum, from the Memtas Sharitum into the Shara Nun. 
we'd, be, we had really descended into the lowest of low, and we wouldn't have been able to even leave. So, so that's what we know from the Haggadah. The same time, do you know how long the Makos the mark took? So the, the, the Chazal work it out. They work out how long it took to do, to do the Makos every year. Every month. And there was a, a, a week warning, a week of implementation, a week of praying to remove it. And it took a full year to, to, for all the ten makos to happen. Now, those concepts seem to be running in opposite directions, right? Meaning, the one is this notion of desperation and of time being of, of essence. And the other idea is, is Hashem's taking his time to make sure that everybody is quite aware of what he's doing. But if, if there's such urgency, then why is he taking so long? Says, Arachayim HaKadosh. I don't understand. Rav Chaim ben Atar asks in the Torah, he says, wait a second. What we should do over here is Hashem should say, you know, one, two, three, you need ten makos, you know what? I'll give you five minute warnings on each, you know? It'll be a, it'll be a quick process. I'll tell you, yes, or no, okay, bam. Again, no, bam. Right there, we can, within a few days' time, we can finish the whole thing out, and out they go. Right, that's what could happen. Why not? Why, why is it Hashem seems to be prolonging what seems to be a very urgent situation? Says the Orachim HaKadosh. Hinei, lamash kodem lanu, ki ikar hagolos hulvarer hanitzotze shenit mu'u bebnun sharetumah. He says, the Golos, this is a completely different paradigm of thinking of what Golos is. The Golos was to take out, to clarify, to clean the depths of the disgust and the impurity in Egypt, in those 50 gates of Tumah. And this is going to explain the questions. If Hashem took them out just before they reached the 49th level, Meaning before the Makkah started, they weren't at the 49th level, they were still descending. And Hashem waited till they, to get to the very, very, very lowest, to the trough of their experience. Because if Hashem had taken them out, out earlier, they wouldn't have had access to that depravity to be able to cleanse it. Isn't that fascinating? We needed to experience the lowest to be able to raise it. And he says, And he goes on to say the following. You know, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, Access the Memtes Sharebina. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to access 49 gateways of wisdom. And the Gemara is concerned, what about the 50th, which is the all-encompassing level of Bina? The 50th level, why couldn't he access that? So the Orachim says, you know why he couldn't? It's because Moshe, as a representative of the nation, as the spiritual capacity of that nation, couldn't access what the nation hadn't accessed in Tumah. They couldn't go down that deep, he couldn't go up that far. Because that far. you only get the level of Kedusha through the de- depths of danger that you went through. By the way, this is a very dangerous idea Kabbalistically, just so you should understand the, you know, the misuse of this idea. Shabtai Tzvi, 1600s. Right? Shabtai Tzvi, when he arises as the false Messiah and he's starting to use Kabbalah to talk about the, rise, the arrival of the Mashiach, he misused this concept. When, he was, when the Sultan of Turkey, of the, uh, of the Ottoman Empire, says, said this man's getting too dangerous, he made a very simple proposition to him. He says, I'll give you two choices, death or Islam. It seems to be something which comes up through the generations. And, he's, and what happened? What did, what did, uh, what did uh, Shabtatsi do? He converted to Islam. And he explained to his followers, you know what I'm doing? I'm going into the depths of the Shviras Kalim, into the depths of Tumah, to extract the Kedusha. And people followed him and converted to Islam after him. There are people who still believed in him that he was the true Messiah even after his death after being killed in captivity. You understand? You have to be very careful with this idea. Nonetheless, this is a very true concept, which is the notion that B'nai Israel were only able to access the good through the bad itself. Which makes us think of all for a moment. If you think about the 2,000 years of Golis for a moment, and you think about, look, we've been in, in we'll call it plan B of, uh, of, you know, of Israel's existence for the last 2,000 years. That's a pretty long time. You know, the base of Middash was, you know, 400 odd years, 400 odd years. And you think to ourselves, you know, that, that, that isn't even half 
of the amount of time we spent out of Israel. You know, it's, al- it's almost like, you know, sort of grade B of existence. Is that really what we're supposed to be? And the answer is, well, not really that we, we chose that, but there is, as the Kabbalists say, there is a value of being going to the goddess. There are things that we expunge. There are things that we pull out, we clarify from that goddess. On a personal level, most beautiful idea is that when the angel came to Yaakov, and the angel fought with Yaakov that entire night, there was a night of darkness, a night, a night of fate, a night of despair. Yaakov says, yeah, Yaakov says to the angel as he grabs him at the end of the, 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 the night, I'm not going to send you away until... I'm not going to let go of any specter in my life. I'm not going to let go of any shadow in my life until... I've seen in that specter, in that shadow, bracha. You understand? Meaning, even the depths, even the most darkest of places, is where we have to say and cling on to and be able to extract the goodness. That's what the Orachim is saying, what Hashem was doing to us. He was dragging us to the lowest of bushes to pull us up to the highest. He t- goes on one further level, and this, this is remarkable. He says, But time shinis taknu Yisrael b'mitzrayim b'beiru sharanun why was it so dangerous for them to experience the 50th gate? Just pull him down all the way then, according to this logic. He says, He says, you know, like, today, we may have entered the Sharanun already. When you think about the experience of our Golas, whether it be the highest or the lowest end of Golas, we've had 2,000 years. Says the Orachim, we've probably entered into the Sharanun, as many Kabbalists say. I, weren't, weren't they on the point, the brink of despair and dis- destruction if they'd entered into that lowest level? He says, yes, because they didn't have had a cultural identity. They didn't have Torah. We live a life of Torah which allows us even through a goddess which takes us even deeper, says, uh, says, says the, the Arachim. One want to see a fascinating uh, application is the halacha, an unbelievable idea. The, the a question is asked of Moshe Feinstein. He's asked the following. He's a, a person's trying to name their child. And the question is, is can we name the child, you know, a Yiddish name which is not... Not Jewish, really. Meaning, you know, in the end of the day, in the end of the day, it's not, it's not to be found in Tanakh. It's not Hebrew. So Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe says, look, on the one hand, you see there's a notion of the idea of a, of a holy name, a name being a, 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 a Jewish name. On the other hand, you look throughout history and you see that there are many people, you know, Rav Papa, Marzutra, Meremar, they're all Babylonian names, right? They're, those aren't Hebrew names. You know, Rav Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam. Maimon is not a Hebrew name, right? That's, that's, that, and that, that's the Rambam's dad. And you go through uh, the Rabbi Mishnah, Rav Yidal, he goes through numerous examples where history, you see that they actually that was their name. and was a non-Jewish name. He says, how do you put the two, in, uh, the two together? He says the following. That, the, the, you know, the famous Medrash Rabbi Israel had such a schus because they didn't change their names. What's going on over here, he says. Who lakoidem matan Torah? Shalohoyo heker godol bishvil kiyom ha-mitzvos debinei noach. Beforehand, all we had was seven mitzvahs. We never had the identity of Torah Judaism. Most of them served Avodah Most of them were not circumcising their children. We saw about four Marcus Bacharis. Most of them didn't do circumcision even. And he goes on to say, he says, He says, you know what? That was all we had. All we had was clothing, language, and names. We didn't have anything else. It was the externals of a cult- cultural identity. I was on one of these, these, uh, these, these sites the other day, and uh, one of these 
um, I, I don't remember which one it was, a Jewish site, it said, like, you know, I wanted to subscribe to the email, and they said, for the sake of the bagel, sign, our, uh, sign to our newsletter. Meaning, like, sort of, you know, our culture is the bagel. You know, that's, that's Jewish today, is the bagel. That, that, that's what it is. That's all there is. You understand? What Ramosh is saying is, when we're in Mitzrayim, we didn't have a Torah identity. Now, and therefore, in a post-Torah Torah, Torah, Torah world, says, uh, when, we, when we've got the Torah, says, says Ramosh, um, he says, that at the end, he says, Lule de Mistafin, if, if I didn't find, Vavsh Mistaber Cain, even though this is very logical, I'm saying, Mistafin, Lo Imarzebelo, I haven't found great proofs for this, to be able to say that there's less of a concern about specifically a Jewish name. He goes on to talk about the level of a Jewish name, and of course we should try for that, but he's saying, if you're naming after a grandparent who doesn't have a Jewish name, there's still value in that, Ramon is talking on a halachic level. But uh, this, this swings both ways. On the one hand, it says, you know, well, wow, there's, there's a little more latitude. On the other hand, you know what Ramosh is saying is? Is if we don't have the identity of the Torah itself, then we're, then we're missing the boat too. If we don't have that identity, and all our life is about bagels and locks, and then, then, we're, then uh, the, we, and, we and our kids might be missing that boat itself. Where does, where does this come from? It comes back from that Orachayim. We perhaps even are entering the Sharonun. How can we? Because we have a different identity which holds us still, and it holds us true, and that's and that is the Torah. Conclude one last, one last thought. And that is, Lashon Abba Yerushalayim. We end the Seder with Lashon Abba Yerushalayim. This is, all, uh, this is, the, this is one of the, the happiest times of the Seder for many reasons. Um, and um, it's interesting to note that this, this, this phrase appears twice in the Jewish year. And that is, at the end of the Pesach Seder and at the end of the Yom Kippur service. Right? And, we, and that's also one of the happiest points of Yom Kippur as we sort of made it through the, uh, in that Kaddish and we, say, we dance and sing Lashon Abba Yerushalayim. Rabbi Hanan Adler, one of the Rosh Yeshiva Y.U. said the most beautiful thought, and that is, is think about it. You know, we, of all the festivals that we celebrate on an annual basis, all of them are pretty much the same. You know, Sukkot, we still have Sukkot. You know, uh, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we still have Din. When it comes to Shavuos, we still have the Torah and sometimes the cheesecake. But in the end of the day, when it comes to the um, two festivals, they are radically different to the how they were celebrated beforehand. And that is Pesach and Yom Kippur. Think about it for a moment. Open up Yuma. Yuma is about Yom Kippur. There are eight prokem. Seven of those eight prokem deal with the avoider. What Yom Kippur used to be was about those, la- about those goats and how the service and all the korbanos and the service inside the base of Migdash. It's only the eighth perek which starts dealing with the inuyim and which is our experience of what Yom Kippur is fully about. The tefillah and the inuyim. That's essentially what's left for us. Psachim. Psachim is an extremely long mesechta. Ten prokem. None of those ten prokem deal mainly with Korbanos. The first one, a little bit of Avdikas Chometz. Most of, most of, of the Mesefta Psachim deals with the Korban Pesach. That was the Avoidah. We no longer have that. All we have is the 10th parak essentially, which is Arei Psachim, dealing with the, the Seder itself and the, uh, the aspects of Matzah and, and Korban Pesach. So you know what happens is we finish the Seder and we say, we finish Yom Kippur and we say, you know, Hashem, we, we try to get close to you, but L'Shon Abba Yerushalayim, we realize we're missing a big part of it. It is these two holidays where we say there's something missing. We didn't have the Avoida on Yom Kippur. We didn't have the Korban Pesach on Pesach. We know that as much as, as high as we've climbed, we hope that the Shona Habab Yerushalayim will have it back fully next year. Thank you very much. I hope it is an inspirational Pesach. <laughs>